Before we begin, I'd like to proudly mention our sponsor, Injitsu.com, providing remote at-home training from some of the world's top MMA fighters. These classes are not pre-recorded. These trainers come to you live and coach you for the duration of the class. I've personally taken a few of these classes and I've never felt so inspired and accomplished in a workout session. They'll leave you both on the floor in exhaustion, but wanting more. There are still slots available for online classes, so head over to injitsu.com slash richardlistens to get your first class free. That's I-N-J-I-T-S-U dot com slash richardlistens. I'll see you there. I'm a big fan of MMA sports. It's rough and elegant at the same time. I think my number one fear of stepping into a ring like that would be protecting my teeth. Luckily, the guys over at Impact Dental Designs have created an amazing mouth guard that is state of the art. These mouth guards are currently being used by some of the best MMA fighters, but even better, they can be tailored to any sport. Football, hockey, boxing, soccer, the list is endless. Head over to impactdentaldesigns.com slash richardlistens to get 20% off your order and a free customized design for your mouth guard. Hey, everybody, and thank you for joining me. This is Richard Listens, and this is the Richard Listens Show. I'm Richard Olberger, clinical psychologist. I'm grateful for all the wonderful contributions and guests we've been having lately. Thank you again to all my subscribers, for all of you who've been signing up for email lists, signing up on our Patreon.com page to support the show, Patreon.com slash Richard Listens, Instagram at Richard Listens. Please tweet at me, Instagram. Facebook, sign up, subscribe, and listen. Please take the time, send this to two friends that you think might like the show. Without further ado, I'm going to be inviting on shortly my guest today, Mr. Lee Povey, who is a lifelong entrepreneur who created his own successful real estate business in his mid 20s, realizing only that it didn't bring him joy and fulfillment. So he sold it and became a professional cycling coach. Uh, some of you have seen in the Olympics track cycling. I'm sure we'll learn more about the unique intricacies of that sport and domain. And he built it up and moved to San Jose, uh, California, and then down to Long Beach, where he built it up, where the country's premier velodrome is, the Velo Sports Center. He's created Olympic development program for USA Cycling, and he's including finding private donors to fund it and became the head track sprint coach. This was USA's first pathway program for track cyclists in three decades, where I've learned that they've often trailed behind countries such as Great Britain. He's competed and coached at the highest levels of elite sports. He personally won and medaled at the world and national championships. He holds one world and two national records. Additionally, he enjoyed the immense privilege of working at the 2012 Olympic Games. He's now a retired cycling coach and working full-time as human behavior and performance coach, running Maximize Your Potential Coaching with the Great Britain national team and athlete Ryan Owens. He offers one-to-one emotional performance coaching, leadership workshops and coaching men's groups, an athlete coach mentoring, and he also helps his wife create Empower Therapy, a therapy private practice. We look forward to covering this and more with Mr. Lee Povey. Well, thank you for joining us, Lee Povey. Thank you so much. We've just got done reading your accolades, your bio. I'm sure your ego is swollen. How are you doing on this fine Monday morning in California where reopening is kind of upon us? I'm doing great. Thank you for inviting me to the show, Richard. And just a note on bios, I hate them. I I don't know if it's a British thing or a Lee thing, but talking about myself in that way, I find uncomfortable. (laughs) And my wife always goes, you've forgotten this. You should say more about this. Boast more about this. I'm like, well, I mean, for our listeners out there, first of all, I mean, the fact that you've competed yourself as an athlete and, and, and I'm always drawn, I've become drawn myself in my journey back into sports psychology and towards getting my sports psychology certification towards the quality of athletes. And so there is sometimes this humility of like, you know, I'm always competing. I, you know, I don't want to talk about my past accomplishments because I'm 
I'm always bringing it to the next challenge. I know you're launching a new venture and it's very mission and purpose oriented, but do you, do you find that you gloss over past accomplishments or you feel that they're not as significant in the new realm you're in? Why, why not to give credit to competing at the, you know, the world level? Yeah, I, I think personally, it's something I've actually battled with, which is recognizing my own achievements. I'm so focused on, right, what's next? Or how can I do this better? And it's one of those things, you know, it's something I, I work with a lot with my clients, like appreciation. Uh, at the end of our initial eight-week mains group, we spend 15, 20 minutes at the end of it appreciating each other. You know, we would go around the room and guys say nice things about the other guys in the room. And I love it. I really love it. And it's something I need to keep working on myself is where I appreciate myself for what I've done. You know, they'd always be like, well, I want a district championships. Yeah, but I want to win a national championship. Then when you win a national championship, well, I want to win a world championships. So there's always that next stepping stone in sport, isn't there? And now I'm working very hard personally, my own journey on appreciating all of my little victories, because otherwise, what's the point? That's a beautiful thing. Do you, do you think that was something that took a long time to get to that kind of mentality or only after retiring yourself as an athlete? <laughs> I've been much better at it, much better at it the last few years. What, what, what changed for me was a dramatic incident. I crashed in 2010 and broke a left shoulder in four places. So I broke pretty much every bone in my shoulder. And During competition or during practice? During competition, yeah. So I was in the middle of a race on an outdoor track. It's a cement surface. I didn't slide me and the other rider bumped into each other. He lost control and he fell into my front wheel. So it just rocketed me straight up in the air and then I, I landed straight down. So usually when you slide, that takes a lot of the impact. You get a lot of skin abrasion. I had hardly any skin abrasion. I just landed on my shoulder and that took all of the impact. So it was a real life reset event because it was the first time in my life I'd felt truly vulnerable. So I renegotiated friendships. I looked at the way I was working. Uh, I was in a relationship that I left within a month because I was like, yeah, this relationship isn't working. So it's actually, I think, the biggest catalyst in my life. And looking back now, I'm very thankful that it happened because it made me reassess everything. And I wouldn't be living in America if this hadn't happened. And then one of the things from that was I stopped looking for external validation and started looking for internal. What do I want to do? How do I measure my own success? How do I measure my own achievements? And I really like the concept I don't know if Ryan Halliday invented it, but he's a writer, uh, done some really good books, like The Obstacle is the Way. And he has this thing, the inner scorecard versus the outer scorecard. So are you keeping score yourself of your achievements in your life? Are you given your own achievement and your own appreciation? Or are you looking for external validation, which you may never get? So if you're constantly validation, you may never get what you want and you're just going to go through life basically being unhappy because you're reliant on somebody else. Yeah, and we've seen that with a lot of athletes in U.S. sports, right? They get like yeah. unprecedented attention early on that are just yeah. all the money. And then all of a sudden when there's conflict, like number one, it must be really hard to nonstop, right? We've seen now, right? Kevin Durant and social media, Instagram wars, we've seen, <laughs> right? It's really hard to like not respond yeah, how do you handle this negative feedback when you've gotten all this praise and all the money yes. and it's kept increasing? KD's funny because he's he's actually got more tweets than points he scored in the NBA. Is that right? I read that the other day. I was like, what a, that's unbelievable. So that shows his engagement in social media. I would offer to him, if I was to coach him, to step back from that. And that's not, it's clearly not making him happy, which is why he's so engaged in it. And I don't remember, there's a little bit of a scandal where I think it was on Reddit or maybe Instagram. He created a fake persona to comment on his own posts. Wow. Yeah. Well, you'll get you'll get pretty good validation from that character. It's a bit like Donald Trump with, what was his one? John Barron or something, where he'd ring up the newspapers and, and talk about how great Donald Trump was and it was himself talking about himself. Well, I mean, you know, this, this leads to a good question about masks <laughs> and, and athletes 
and we we all do it in some way we joke when we see it in others and i'm sure it's harder to see it in ourselves were you aware or did you start to become aware of the masks of an athlete until your injury and did the injury kind of strip away some of the masks in showing your vulnerability i think i was aware before uh, especially of other people i've always been the kind of person that really presents pretty much as i am but what i didn't realize was the vulnerability of like my own fallibility was the thing that I was afraid of. So I could talk about things. I wasn't afraid to talk about things I was going through. But, you know, I thought I was a superhuman because I'd never broken a bone. And then suddenly I crashed and I broke four bones and really messed myself up. And the most scared I've been in my life was going to hospital. I'd never really been to hospital. I've been to hospital to have like stitches from crashes and stuff, but I'd never properly been in hospital, never had a general anesthetic or something. And I was petrified. And the woman I was dating at the time just happened to be on holiday that week. My mum happened to be on holiday that week. And instead of saying, you know what, I'm going to go to hospital the next week when I've got my two kind of closest female supporters around, I just went, I'm fine. I'm going to go to hospital this week. Got there and was really like, oh, okay, actually, I'm really scared. And I could really do with some support right now. And I ended up having two operations on my shoulder because of the damage to it. And the second one, I actually asked some friends of mine to go to hospital with me and a bunch of them visited me. And it was a completely different experience from the first time I went. So just in that six month period, I really kind of turned around the way I was presented. I, I thought I was very good at recognizing other people's needs and vulnerability. What I was poor at was telling other people about mine and especially asking for help. Uh, I thought people were mind readers and I'd be like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm struggling a little bit. And they'd go, oh, you're always okay. And I, you know, I wasn't saying, actually, no, I'm really struggling and I need your help and this is how I need your help. So that's the biggest thing I learned from it was how to ask for help from others. And that's been vital for me. And when we work with men, right, asking for help from others, especially athletes who've yeah. achieved at these high levels and have found the ways to push themselves and motivate themselves. Uh, asking for help is not something that I often find is like a concept that's in a lot of my clients <laughs> guidebook of go-to coping skills. You know, do we have to go through adversity to learn to shift, right? Do, do our clients have to go through it? Is it necessary, right? Some people are really afraid of failure or the injury. Are there ways to get there without it? Or is it just something that, that we need to, like you said, be grateful for when it does come our way? I think it's possibly a little bit like the hero's journey, isn't it? The hero has to be beaten first before he rises back up the vanquish. I do think a lot of it's educational. We tell, you know, if you look at children, if you look at the emotional responses of little boys and little girls, they're identical. They're just as dramatic. They cry as easily. They get afraid as easily. And then we train that out of little boys. We're like, don't show you're afraid. Don't get too excited. Don't be scared. Like that's the, the big one for men. Don't be scared. So we train it out of them. So I think if we approach that differently as parents, as leaders, as teachers, then I don't think we would need to. I think we're training men out of that ability. And then we're having to relearn it when things go wrong. Elite athletes are having panic attacks or getting suddenly really anxious to do something that was once very easy to them. So that's when it presents, isn't it? It presents with that kind of the fear and panic that they suddenly can't handle because they haven't learned how to deal with it. Uh, ideally, we wouldn't train that out of little boys and we'd allow them to process emotions effectively and we'd hold that space for them. And then I don't think we'd need to reteach them as men. This is a really good point, Lee. And for you, you know, you, you mentioned before being from the UK, was there something about the environment that helped you to succeed with cycling. I mean, we know there's a culture of success there. You know, was the sport around you, were the mentors there? Like what helped you succeed and keep pushing? Um, it was actually very different when I was a young man. So UK was about the worst nation in the world at track cycling when I was young. So I was on the national junior team, realized I was never gonna get the support that I would need to succeed at an international level as a track sprinter. That was like the, the, the least supported area of cycling in the UK. Everything was endurance and road focused. And even then it was poor compared to what it is now. So it all changed in 1996 when lottery funding came in. So an organization called Sport England was created and that allowed them to use the profits from the national lottery to pile into sport. And cycling was one of the first sports to go, oh, we want some of that and to come up with a good plan. And basically cycling was a role model for all the other Olympic sports in the UK. And 
And that just kept building and building and building. I realized as well, I wasn't going to be world-class. So, so my success has come as a master's athlete. So that's 35 plus. I wasn't going to be, I wasn't going to go and win the Olympics, not with the support in UK at that time. And certainly not with my athletic ability. I might've been like really good club rider, but I wouldn't have been Olympian. And in those days, I measured myself by my personal success. So, you know, if I wasn't going to go and win a gold medal, I didn't want to do it. So I ended up going the other route, opening a real estate business, and I did that. And then I came back to competing and cycling and coaching in my 30s. And basically in a much more healthy place emotionally, I'd started to do my own work. I was having my therapy. I was in men's groups. And I came back to it in a place of joy rather than a place of if I don't succeed, I am a failure in my entire identity is like tied into my next race. This is such a key point and really why I was so excited to meet with you and why we've connected. And thanks for hopping on that clubhouse uh, room last week (laughs) as we experiment in new forays with moderating. How'd I do, by the way? You know what? I'm still trying to understand it. Uh, It's it's, again, it's a bit like sitting there and just talking about yourself in front of people or talking about subjects. I'm looking forward to when there's a bit more banter back and forth and so yeah i, I want to keep leaning in so keep inviting me <laughs> and we're talking about for all our listeners for those of you who haven't gotten on the clubhouse app yet a really interesting medium where you can join audio discussions on topics that you're passionate about uh, we're hosting right now a noon wednesday men's tribe meeting on there and you can join and, and follow up on, on mental health and a variety of other topics and this is another way if you're still quarantined or still isolated somewhere in the world i understand the uk and canada they're still in full uh kind of lockdown so wherever you are you can hop on there and jump in discussions and can come to the stage metaphorically speaking you can raise your hand you can speak you don't have to just be a pure listener and you can be heard so very interesting platform and happy to be experimenting and learning uh it's a great thing about all this social media is like i feel like i'm behind most 12 year olds and uh that's part of this beginner's <laughs> mind humility asking for a ton of help but my wife has eight and a half thousand followers on instagram i have 600 <laughs> who has eight and a half thousand my wife she, oh, she, wow. she built her profile up from last year from a thousand to eight and a half thousand and she's killing it and she's doing reels so she's doing reels and TikTok. stuff and I don't even know. tiktok kind of stuff i don't even understand and and she's killing it. That's terrific. That's terrific. And, and actually, that, that has been the gift of my vulnerable experience in the pandemic and being isolated is that uh, we couldn't go anywhere, but we could reach people through these mediums. So yeah. I'm very excited that uh, podcasting and uh, going on others' podcasts and meeting individuals who are willing to share of their time and tell their stories, what motivates them. I think it's such a gift for our listeners and for clients out there because so often, you know, I got a call last week and someone was like both in shock that their call actually got returned. And then when I asked them what they wanted to talk about, they said they needed time to prepare because they were so used to not even getting past that stage. So hearing this kind of information and getting to know who the people are you work with and getting to see their approach, I think hopefully reduces a lot of the barriers and the anxiety. And when we talk about men and men's work, it's really just so refreshing to me, right? When I hear other people in coaching and in therapy saying, this started with my own therapy. This started with my own work. And I identify with what you're talking about as an athlete because as a basketball player, it was completely my identity. It was my war zone. And everything was, you know, like, you know, I was a hammer and everything was a nail and there was no finesse. And it led to injuries, led to back injury, led to surgery at a young age. And, and oftentimes like a hard recovery time after each competition and not a lot of forgiveness. And so I really love this approach of like, as we get older, you know, that there's still competition to be had to become a master athlete, to keep improving over the course of your lifetime and getting healthier and still learning to track your process, your, your internal, you know, it doesn't go away this, you know, becoming a champion, you know, and and there are always ways to compete and improve yourself. Yeah. I kind of reset it for me. And this is how I like to work with athletes. And this is what I think. I bring to my emotional coaching as well is I focus on the process, not the result. So for me now, success being the best version of me possible. And it takes away a lot of the fear. So I used to have a lot of fear. Like I don't want to try something new because what if it doesn't work? You know, I don't want to try a new tactic in a race because I know this tactic works well for me. Yet that makes you a very one dimensional athlete. So what I do now is I just work on the process of what's the best I can do today. How well can I eat? How well can I sleep? How well can I apply my training, both physically and technically and emotionally? And then each day, 
takes care of the future results. So I'm not thinking about, you know, when I'm coaching an athlete at the Olympic level, you're not thinking about them winning the Olympics. Obviously, that's their goal, but you're not focused on that every day. What you're focused on is how can you be better today? What one thing can you do a little bit better? What 1% gain can we make today? And by the time you get to the competition, it's all taken care of. All you literally, all you have to do is turn up and compete. There's not some magic thing you have to do on competition day. You don't have to exceed everything you've ever done before because you've done it so many times in training. And success for me now is that daily ritual of how well I can do that. And then when I turn up in a competition, if I got beaten or if my riders got beaten by somebody better than them, but they were the best version of themselves, that's success. I'm like, I would be just as happy with them not winning, but being the absolute best version of themselves and just getting out-talented by somebody else than them winning, but only winning because they were more talented than the other person and they didn't actually perform well. My athletes will tell you, you know, they've got British word, they've got bollockings for winning races, riding them badly, and they've got congratulations for losing races, but riding them really well. So I, I always want to focus on that, the best version of us, and take away the result as being the thing that determines what's the best version of us. It's our performances determines the best version of us not the result itself that's terrific that message can't be taught enough and you know that false confidence that comes with having success when maybe you didn't earn it or it was just good yeah. fortune a lot of people get duped by that they, they get right or they stay at a, a lower level of competition because winning feels good they're not yeah. being challenged big fish in a little pond is a common phenomenon that we all say isn't it yeah you know, we all see it anybody involved in sport like trying to push some people to the next level and it's one of the reasons why lots of young athletes don't make it to the elite level i mean there's there's multiple reasons you know different things they want to do college whatever then there's the step up from being a junior to an elite is usually pretty big because you're competing against people that could be 10 years older than you, 10 years more training maturity. What I often see, though, it's not that. It's the grit to be able to be okay with not winning anymore. You know, you're a good junior. There's not so many good juniors in the same age group as you. And now suddenly you're competing against everybody who is the best junior in their age group. And there's a 10 year spread of that. And you have to go through that grit of, I'm not going to win right now. And what's my process going to be until I get to the point that I win? It seems like everyone these days is trying new workout systems. Some people go to the gym, others may run, but I've recently discovered a great in-home method that is absolutely amazing. I'm taking in-jitsu classes online where I'm being trained and pushed in real time by top MMA fighters straight from the octagon. Injitsu.com provides real-time classes so you can get a top-notch workout from the comfort of your own home. These classes are absolutely going to sell out. So head over to Injitsu.com slash Richard Listens to get your first class for free. That's I-N-J-I-T-S-U dot com slash Richard Listens. Protecting your child's teeth is important in any sport. That's why Impact Dental Designs has put so much thought into their state-of-the-art mouth guards, protecting athletes in youth sports all the way up to advanced MMA fighters and champions. And the best part is you can customize your own design for your own creative and fun mouth guard. So head over to impactdentaldesigns.com slash Richard Listens. And if you purchase now, you get a free customized design and 20% off your order. Terrific mental skills, performance coaching. I mean, it's it's so essential for our athletes and learning how to deal with, right, how many are the best, how many stories I've ever heard, they were the best, the biggest at a certain age. And then all of a sudden, when everyone caught up, it was very hard for them psychologically to yeah. adapt and to deal with that. And a lot of players get recruited when they're very young uh, in the United States. Tell me a little bit, you know, the velodrome, you're down there in, in Long Beach, the history, indoor cycling, I mean, popularity, it's Olympics, but a lot of people don't understand, you know, the unique focus. What, what drew you to it? What historically, you know, drew people to the sport and what draws athletes to this unique area of competition? Yeah, it's a niche sport here in America. It's a bigger sport in some other countries. So it's pretty big in Australia, New Zealand, and parts of Europe. It's massive now in the UK, mainly because of this lottery funding, creating such a powerful team that there's that, there's that halo effect. So there's name recognition. So people in the UK know 
the British Olympic champions, and you see a pathway. You can see yourself and you can go, as a 15-year-old, if I join the Great Britain team, I have an opportunity to be an Olympic champion. Uh, we had an Olympic champion here in 2000 in Sydney, uh, American called Marty Nostein. And then since that, we've really lost our way here in America with track sprint cycling as, as a sport that people do. And a lot of it is about funding. So you've already mentioned it. You know, if, you, if you're a talented sprint athlete, you can get a football scholarship to college. You can get a basketball scholarship to college. You can get a baseball scholarship to college. There's very few cycling scholarships to college and even less track sprint cycling scholarships to college. So we don't really have the money in it. Here. So it's a kind of sport here that people do because they love it. Um, I fell into it in the UK. My dad did it. I used to go and watch him race as a kid. And, you know, typical cocky kid. I'm like, I can beat my dad. I need to do this just so I can beat him. You know, I, I need to kill the king. It's my time. So I started racing when I was 13 to kill the king. Uh, I just happened to, there was a track in Brighton that was two miles away from where we lived. So that was the, that was the biggest part. It was having a velodrome. I, I was really good at swimming and rugby. I was the captain of my school rugby team as well for the last year that I played there. So I really like rugby too. But there was just something about cycling. It was a, it's a very technical sport. And I love the challenge of the technical nature of it. Tactics are massive in it. Yeah, well, you touch on some key points about passion and also about men and their fathers. How much of your men's work do you find is about, you know, this kind of, right? I mean, you know, Freud called it the Oedipal complex or whatever, this desire to kind of either connect to their fathers or get recognition or, you know, get slightly beyond what they were able to achieve. We are the products of our parents, aren't we? Uh, for, for better or for worse. So my mum's very bright. She went to university at 50 and got a degree in accountancy and law. Huge respect for her because wow. of that. And she would reward me for my intelligence. And my dad rewarded me for sport. You know, my dad's, uh, he's dead now. He, he's, he wasn't a great person, <laughs> um, you know. Hence therapy, hence men's groups. I wanted to break the chain. I didn't want to continue the behavior that he was doing. And I could see myself starting to continue that. And I was like, no, I'm going to break this chain. And he happened to love cycling. That was his favorite sport. He never watched me play rugby, never watched me swim. I was a county swimming champion. He never once watched me swim. So that was my way, as you say, of connecting with him and also trying to do better than him. It's like, right, I connect with him through the cycling, then I'm going to kill the king by, I'm going to be better than you. You're, you're not good enough to hang with me kind of thing and you know what a surprise i end up being a an elite level cyclist a cycling coach and i also you know i was also really good at school and i'm an emotional coach <laughs> i am the product of my parents that's right and so is it hard then to ever pull it back right when we're trying to succeed on multiple fronts is it hard for you to pull back i've had various periods of overworking. When I had my real estate business, I ended up getting really tired and kind of having a bit of a, an immune system issue that I couldn't actually cycle competitively for two years. I, I still had to do something, so I took up golf because that's not as physically taxing as cycling is. So yeah, I've, I've had bouts with just overworking. Even my last, that was part of the reason uh, one of the reasons I wanted to move on from the, the gig with USA Cycling was I had my own private coaching business and I was working for USA Cycling at the same time. I was working seven days a week. I was traveling most months, working seven days a week. It, it was it was really tiring. And now, a 48-year-old man, I'm thinking, what does the quality of my life want to be? Where do I really get my actual enjoyment in life from? And the pandemic like it has for many of us, it's been this great reset for me. Like you, I've, I wouldn't even do FaceTime calls before the pandemic. I hated it. Now I love going on Zoom. I love connecting with friends. I have various friends group. I've got my own men's group that I'm part of. So my own personal work. I have a weekly call with another couple of friends. I've got two monthly calls with some other friends. Connecting with people like yourself. Some of those people I've set up regular monthly connection calls with. And I'm realizing that connecting with people is something I really enjoy. And there's so many people that kind of have the shared vision that I have of mainly working with men and making men or enabling, not making, they have to do the work, but enabling and supporting men to be better people. So they're better fathers, brothers, husbands, friends, and just allowing men to experience their emotions in a healthy way so that they're not angry, so they're not taking their stuff out on people. We talk about passion, that really is my passion, kind of healing the world one man at a time. That's a beautiful mantra. And, and thank you for sharing your, your personal journey to how you arrive there. Is there, I know in my men's practice, there's kind of a mission to you know, create circles. And I know that the word tribe is thrown around. Some people object to that word. 
feeling it may have more of an indigenous nature, but, you know, creating yeah. a safe space, we can use therapeutic terms for men, yeah. creating a community where men don't have to be as guarded, defensive, competitive. Is there something to that philosophy that, that you're trying to create? And what, what does that do for how men show up emotionally? What can that do for the quality of their life? I mean, you've literally just said it. It, it is creating the space for men. You know, I'd, I'd been in men's groups for a number of years in the UK. I knew the power of it. And I'd always wanted them to go a little bit deeper. So the groups I was in, the organization, you kind of took it in turns to lead. And I always wanted somebody to challenge me a little bit more. And then I created a group to try it here at the beginning of the pandemic, thinking maybe this is something I might want to do as work or, or just I wanted my to give my friends an opportunity to come together in a different way than we had, because many of them were, were lonely, struggling in the pandemic, weren't seeing people. And it was fascinating to me to see how long term friendships and we're talking about, you know, a couple of the guys were best men at my wedding, how our relationship has changed just by creating that space with some container to it. So you check in with how you're feeling right now. There's an accountability piece. Do you want to hold yourself accountable or another guy accountable? And then there'd be some work in the middle and a checkout. By creating a process, having seven or eight other men listen to you, share something about yourself, probing you, genuinely being interested in you as a being, instead of a guy that you went out to get drinks with to meet women or that somebody who was part of your sports team, it's been incredibly powerful to watch for me. And I know it's had a big effect on the guys that, you know, that I invited into that initial group. You know, we talk about a lot, the effect it's had on our lives. And then I've just been so blessed to be able to take that out now as a facilitator and enroll other men into that space. And I'm blown away. Like I get so emotional week one, you know, I set up the container, we set up the boundaries, we, we give that safety. And then the first question I say to you is, what's brought you here? And then hearing these men one by one tell their stories of feeling lonely, talking about how, you know, at school they had all these friends. And now as a man, they don't have those friendships. They go to work, they have their romantic partner, they want male friendships and they don't know how to get them. And I watch my wife befriend everybody. I mean, she's particularly skilled, but, you know, she'll meet somebody, they're swapping phone numbers. I'm like, how did that even happen so quickly? Like, <laughs> They've been talking for five minutes and they're Facebook friends. Like, how did that happen? And I know for me and many of the men that, that I come into contact with, it's just not so easy for us. It's more difficult for a guy to go up to another guy in the gym and say something like, I like the way you're squatting, you know, which could be something I could say, like great squatting form there, mate. Or, you know, that's a really decent weight for your body weight. Like, I'm really impressed by that. That could be something I could easily say. And, and I do try saying that now. There's all these nuances of uncomfortability of like, can I trust? Is it safe? Are they interpreting me as a threat? I had that this morning yeah, in the gym am, am through the I, mask. Exactly. It was somebody new. Yeah. And I looked, glanced at him twice. And I was like, oh my God, is that is is that a threat to the person? Like I just <laughs> but without the with the mask on, it's hard to like even smile. You know, I tried to give the yeah. nod with the mask. There's all new uh, <laughs> etiquette for but raising but, the eyebrows and yeah, giving the nod some and, sort uh, of <laughs> message, but I just decided I'll try again next time. But you know, one of one of my most memorable experiences in the last month was somebody coming up with the mask on he complimented my adidas mask because he was wearing adidas <laughs> but even something as simple as that was like yeah i'm in it with you you know i'm here working yes. hard with yeah. you and trying to get healthy and yeah it said a lot yeah and, and i think we find that a little bit more difficult as men than we do as women there's this stigma around homosexuality in in the western culture of like is this guy hitting on me you know so it's like can we be friends Women don't really have that stigma. It's, it's easier, I find, for them to make those initial connections. So I just find there's a lot of lonely men in their 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s. And that's part of the work. It's not all of the work by any means, but creating communities has always been really important to me. As a cycling coach, I mean, I actually became a cycling coach as a, as a byproduct of creating a community. So I don't like training by myself. So I would create groups of people to train with me and because I'd created the group, people would say to me, what are we doing today? I'd be like, I don't know. What are we doing today? So, so I had to understand the sport because they're looking at me to start devising the training that we're going to do because I'm the guy that stepped up as a leader and said, right, we're going to meet at eight o'clock on Sundays and we're going to train every Sunday. And then, you know, I did that in Brighton. I did that in San Jose, then as a coach and then here in, in L.A., 
the Velodrome here again, creating groups, creating communities. And I just kept seeing the impact of that and the value that the community had to people. So it's not just the training, it's being part of something. And that's what I want to create with these men's groups, a much bigger thing where eventually we have retreats, uh, you know, guys come and get together and be men. And, you know, we do men stuff. You know, we go for bike rides together. We go for walks together. We chop some wood together. You know, whatever it is that we need to do to feel like men. And then we sit in that circle, as you described, and we share. And I love it. I love being part of that kind of movement. The way I see it, and I think me and you are very aligned on this, is this isn't about hating women. It's not that kind of men's movement where, you know, it's unfair. Men don't get the rights they should have, any of that kind of stuff. It's about being a better member of your community and we're just going to offer it as a space so that men feel safe to share and connect with other men because they struggle to do that. That's a good point. Yeah, maybe, you know, for all our listeners that are kind of right, because you talk about loneliness, but there's also it's like we don't understand that our greatest weakness comes from our strength sometimes being the provider. A lot of men, all the yep. multiple roles, becoming a parent, mm-hmm. if you are one, becoming an executive, being someone who handles more stress often then leaves you with less support. So what do you say to people who are kind of like, I don't see why would I need, right, a men's group? There's nothing wrong with me, right? Why can't I just get enough from just being with my my spouse and, you know, have my exercise? Like, what do you say to people like that who have those questions? There's a, rich, there's a richness to life that you haven't experienced yet is what I would share. My point into men's groups was uh, I was having problems with my back, probably stress-related when I look back now, and I was going to see a chiropractor, and he happened to be in men's groups, and he said, look, some of this is stress. You know, Some of it is you're an athlete, you're working out, and I've got a back injury that's just gone on for years, so a mixture of stuff, but a lot of it was stress. And he said to me, you, you should join a men's group. You get a lot out of that. And that was my response. What do I need that for? Like, I don't need any of that. I've got you know, I don't, I've, I meet women, I, I, dating's easy for me, it's fine. What do I need that for? And he's like, you wait until you've experienced like the love of a men's group. And I was like, who is this hippie? Go and hug a tree. And eventually, <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, eventually over a few months, you know, I would still, I knew there was something wrong. I was just not fulfilled and happy. And he talked me into it and I went and immediately I got it. I was like, yes, this is what I've been searching for. Like just to feel part of something with a bunch of other guys who are sharing Similar experiences to me that I thought I was going through alone. That's a big part of it. Guys share in the group and then you see all these heads nodding and they suddenly realize they're not the only person in the world suffering from that. And then the other part, I really liked your question about like my partner should be enough kind of thing. I love the work of Esther Perel who rails against that. And she's like, it's crazy to think our romantic partner should provide all of our needs to us. Like that's one really unfair on a romantic partner. That's a ridiculous request from them. You've got to provide me with all my fulfillment. And it creates this codependency where people often can't be honest with each other because they don't want to offend each other. And, you know, the, the joy of a men's group is you can come and get a lot of that emotional fulfillment for that. So that when you're with your partner, you can be present and you can be there and enjoy each other's company without this dependency on each other for happiness. Like you're already creating your own happiness. You know what? you want how to be happy and we work a lot on communication you know we work on how we communicate with our partners the guys discuss that stuff in a the group they take it back they try different stuff with their partner to deepen that level of connection with their partner too and it's the commitment to leading in those different areas right like you said we don't yeah. examine where in our relationships we become codependent and it's from this maybe western romantic idea of love i mean so many people where <sighs> It's amazing. They found each other. It has been the journey to find a partner is amazing. And, you know, you find your world if you can find someone uh, that you connect with and really wants to share a journey with you. It's it's amazing. But putting all the pressure on that person who's also going through changes and needs to do their own work on their own happiness. We can never be responsible 100% for the other person's happiness and all the things they need to do or decide what they need for themselves spiritually, emotionally. Uh, You know, I get concerned when people share all their interests, right? (laughs) A little bit could be a red flag. I've I've never dated another cyclist for that very reason. Like cycling was my thing. It was my hobby, then it was my work, and then it was my hobby and my work. I didn't need somebody else that was in that sphere. I wanted to be out of that sphere in my relationship. You know, my wife will ride a bike with me if I bully her into it. 
go for a you know slow ride along the seafront, but she's not a cyclist and she's happy to come and cheer me on when I compete, but she is not a cyclist. And that gives me that room away from that, you know, so that that's not our entire existence. I don't, I don't think of myself as a cyclist. I think of myself as a human being who happens to do cycling, who happens to coach cycling. And then, you know, I have these other interests as well, like psychology, like supporting men, like the environment, like how we communicate with each other. I'm trying to think of that movie uh, with Robert De Niro about the, their sports fans. It's a classic. His son is is struggling with bipolar disorder with Jennifer, the one from Hunger Games. Oh, Silver Lining Playbook. Silver Lining Playbook. You know, I'm just thinking oh, about that. God. You know, like, you know, that if, if I had, you know, we're as crazy about, you know, New York football <laughs> as, uh, you know, if, if, if I had a partner who was equally, like, upset when the opposing team scored a touchdown, <laughs> I don't know what would happen. Like, somebody has to be a little bit, like, I have no idea Whatever. what you're so upset about. <laughs> have, a, have another appetizer, right? Like, <laughs> I watched the Golden State Warriors and my life's like, oh, yeah, Steph's quite good. Like, that's about her interest. <laughs> it's good because, right, you examine, like, the level of, you know, it's, it's I love it. I love the bonding that it creates. You know, I love it that my, my son feels and like after a school day to run home and told me that the Mets scored a run. It's a big, you know, we've shared in this mutual excitement, but it can also be, right, when, when sports takes over all of your emotional threshold and all of your experience, it's another dependency. No, it's like going back to what we we're talking about earlier of, of where my happiness came from winning a bike race, like my validation, my self-worth came from winning a bike race. It's the same when you support a team and your happiness, you know, people have studied this, people's happiness is dramatically adjusted by whether the team wins or loses you know they get so bought into it and and this is really what we want to create in the men's group is that connection that you feel being a fan and being part of that community but without that tie-in to the result because there's so much tie-in to the result and you listen to sports fans and they'll talk about it being their family i've had men talk about to me how being a fan of a sports team is what's got them through their difficult periods I want to create that in a men's group, just a healthier version of that. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being a fan of sports team. I think it's amazing. I think it's great. I just think when your self-worth is tied with it, when your happiness is tied with it, there's this narrow dependency with that team that you're following, rather than you being able to separate yourself and say, I'm a really good human being. I can enjoy my team whether they win or lose right i certainly don't want to alienate myself or any man out there who's you know a newcastle or a man united fan or an la rams (laughs) fan or anybody who's passionate about their team and lives for that because i i had that bond with my father i went in the snow and the cold to the new york giants game and i felt forever that's why i'll be a fan because of that bond that it creates and whatever does that for you and your family it's a beautiful thing and Agreed. it does create excitement it does create something to look forward to and continues i can't wait as things open up to be able to take my son back to a ball game and feel good about letting him run around and get an ice cream cone and catch a foul ball i mean that's that's something i really look forward to but it is now as an adult as a father i've learned to see it as about the journey about the experience about the connection between the two of us about the conversation in the car <laughs> about the shared popcorn or whatever it may be you know and less about whether our team you know wins the game thank you, you. Know, that, that fact- was what i was looking to say and you've just said it so much more eloquently <laughs> than i did it's it's that connective experience we're looking for rather than being so reliant on the result and, and i agree i think for father and son brother you know, at family, it's just uh, my massage therapist, her whole family go to watch the Dodgers games. and She loves it. And and I, I can't get into, into baseball. It's too slow for me. It's too slow a sport. I can't do it. And she keeps <laughs> talking about it and she loves it. But she loves the experience of taking her kids and, and everything that they're getting from it and the memories they're creating. And that is, that's beautiful. Like for me, that is, that's what life is about. It's the shared moments and experiences. That's right. That's right. And when we look at what men, when you talk about the opposite of feeling lonely or withdrawn after the year we're in, I think men get a lot from being a part, being connected to things, right? Yeah. We, we like yeah. being a part of that connection, being a fan. We have a belonging. We have an identity. We have a purpose. There's a, a meaning that comes from it. It's a team, you know, represents so much more, represents your city, 
you know, so telling someone who's from, uh, you know, a small soccer town that, that this is not their passion in their life, uh, good luck with that conversation. <laughs> But right, they will go to war for it, you know. But in closing, I want to share more about what you got going on, how people can get a hold of you, what men's groups you're offering, and uh, different programs and things you have on the horizon for the next few months. Yeah, lovely. So uh, I kind of share my work between men's groups and then leadership coaching and one-to-one coaching. And, and I see them as different offerings with the same aim. So my aim is to affect as many people as possible in the world so to improve their lives however i can and the way i look at it is if i affect leaders and we help them be better leaders more compassionate leaders more vulnerable leaders that will then help so many more people that they work with and that affects all the people that they work with and then helping men as kind of individual men as part of men's groups Again, they go out and they're better partners, they're better husbands, they're better dads, they're better friends, they're better workmates, they're better teammates. So it's, it's creating connection. And then it, I really work a lot on, on how we receive the world around us and how we choose to react to it. That, that's, I think, my real strength is working with people on various models of, right, you know, this triggered me. How am I going to respond to it? And giving them the toolkit to be able to respond in the way they want to respond instead of the way they've been programmed to from past childhood trauma or, you know, just the coping skills they developed that now as adults aren't healthy anymore. And they, you know, they know things are wrong. They're frustrated. They're angry. They don't want to keep responding the way they do and they don't know how to stop it. That's the people I love working with. Well, just that realization really... alone, Lee, right? Yeah. That, that they yeah. say, right? That the freedom is the ability to choose between stimulus and response. So yeah. just the fact <laughs> that you can offer people ways to choose to respond differently or to remind them that they have the capacity or ability to do that is a tremendous I, gift. My, my wife's a therapist and she's a good therapist. Like I love the way she works. And when we first started dating, we had an argument where I'd said something, she was angry. And I said, you know, you get to choose how you respond to what I said. You don't have to be angry about it. You know, you could be curious or you could, you know, want to talk more about it or you can understand where I'm coming from instead of getting angry and, and feeling it's a judgment on you. And she was like, no, you can't do that. And then, you know, this was when she was in graduate school and she's completely graduate school. She's working. And now we have the same discussion and we're, we're curious. And it's like, hmm, okay, I, f- I feel like I've got this response to this. I want to explore that why I'm feeling this response and what's your intent and like, where am I coming from? And it's being curious and playful so that things aren't always offensive and they aren't always an affront. And you, you're trying to look for the intent that the person has and find the best in it. Friend That's of mine the beauty of intimate relationships right there, right? We're exactly. both coming yeah. from these deep, but whether it be considered trauma in our own identity, these attachment, we have wounds, we have ways in which yes. we anticipated our needs to be met based on our parents, based on our community, based on types of validation yeah. we sought or needed desperately and never received. And then when we <laughs> get into a conflict with our partner we're kind of playing that dynamic out so being able to ask do that work internally and search for why i respond the way i do is really a gift because that's where the depth of a relationship can occur that's where growth happens right there absolutely and that's where i you know it's where i feel that connection between us just getting so much stronger and reminded me of um, a friend of mine was dating this woman this was years and years ago right right at the beginning when i started therapy And she said to me that she believes everybody's doing the best with what they've got. And I keep trying to remind myself of that because when I do, I have so much more empathy. You know, just because somebody pissed you off doesn't mean they meant to. Like they have a skill set, they have a way of coping in the world and we're experiencing that. And I can choose to be annoyed and go, well, you know, you're for behaving like that. Or I can think, I wonder what led them to this. I wonder what led them to this behavior and how can I have compassion and empathy for it? That's right. And that's a whole part of right learning about your own work too. People are like, well, I've got to tell them. I've got to show that person what they did to me. You know, and then, oh, you know, learning, learning up, skills, learning, right, nonviolent <laughs> communication, learning ways of conveying your information so it may be heard. Or if it's not going to be heard, learning to have self-respect and self-control to realize that is maybe not the type of individual or organization or place where you want to go because your needs are not likely to be met. So, you know, that's the kind of wisdom I think comes from men's circles and objectivity of getting feedback from people who are truly trying to help you get to your next stage of growth and they help you get there on your own. 
Well, well, Lee Povey, it's a true gift. I look forward to connecting on all these different mediums. Please tell everyone how to reach you and access your services and learn more about men's groups, cycling if they're interested, the velodrome, all of it. Uh, yeah, lovely. Thank you. Access me by Maximize Your Potential on Instagram, Facebook, and our website. I've actually sold the cycling coaching business to a guy that used to work with me, Coach BJ Olson. So the cycling business is called Performance Cycle Coaching. If you're interested in trying the velodrome, reach out to Coach BJ. He would love to get you started on the velodrome. I'm still very passionate about people riding bikes and having fun. Reach out to us if you if you want to talk about being in a men's group. I, I always offer a free consultation for being in the men's group or for the one-to-one work that we do. I've always got space to talk to people about what we do and, and how it may serve you. Well, Lee, it's a real gift. Someday uh, I will uh, try not to fall off my bike on a track race, maybe just because of you. <laughs> I would love are to. There, are there kiddie, are there, uh, you know, kiddie, kiddie cycles? Are there... <laughs> there is a beginner session at the velodrome i don't think it started just yet because of covid but when the schedule goes back to normal in a couple of months time there's a beginner session on saturday morning i'd love to meet you there and, and okay. get you to do that and and then maybe you can teach me to play basketball <laughs> i'd love it i love it i'm still looking to get back out there i know i have the fitness component but we'll see we got to get some shots up i heard a great story just in closing yesterday that julius randall's on the knicks my knicks are having a resurgent year that uh, Kobe Bryant told him with the Lakers, you know, whenever you get off a plane in a city, go straight to a gym, take some shots before you go to the hotel. And he's been doing it. And a bunch of the young Knicks have been going with them. They're winning and they're playing together like a team. And so it's exciting, right? Like when you get create that teamwork and that passion around your commitment to what you love. Commitment is infectious. If you're a leader and you're as committed, if not more committed than everybody else, you will bring people with you. If you're the, that leader that doesn't, if you're the leader that lazy, that's why these teams don't work. And that goes for your personal relationships as well. It does. <laughs> I really appreciate this space, Richard. Thank you very much. It's been great fun chatting to you, and I look forward to meeting you in person. Likewise. All right, Lee. Take care. Thank you all for tuning in. I appreciate it. Please, if you can, check out my Patreon page.com, patreon.com slash Richard Listens, or Instagram. Richard listens. Hey, you get the theme. We appreciate all your support and interest. We're now up on iTunes, Spotify. If you're interested in therapy, teletherapy, any kind of consultation, please don't hesitate to reach out to me through my website, richardlistens.com. I'm happy to help and support in any way through any kind of strain, support, or isolation you are going through. We are here to alleviate strain and suffering. Thank you all for tuning in. I'm Richard Listens, and I'm out. I'm a big fan of MMA sports. It's rough and elegant at the same time. I think my number one fear of stepping into a ring like that would be protecting my teeth. Luckily, the guys over at Impact Dental Designs have created an amazing mouth guard that is state of the art. These mouth guards are currently being used by some of the best MMA fighters, but even better, they can be tailored to any sport. Football, hockey, boxing, soccer, the list is endless. Head over to impactdentaldesigns.com slash richardlistens to get 20% off your order and a free customized design for your mouth guard. Lastly, I'd like to proudly mention our sponsor, Injitsu.com, providing remote at-home training from some of the world's top MMA fighters. These classes are not pre-recorded. These trainers come to you live and coach you for the duration of the session. I've personally taken a few of these classes and I've never felt so inspired and accomplished in a workout session. They'll leave you both on the floor in exhaustion and with a drenched shirt. There are still slots available for online classes, so head over to injitsu.com slash richardlistens to get your first class free. That's I-N-J-I-T-S-U dot com slash richardlistens. Take care, everyone.